With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer along with you on Tuesday, June 22nd. And folks, this just is not going well. It ain't good. It ain't good. We keep talking about the Cardinals playing these bad teams coming up. Got a look at one of them tonight, the Detroit Tigers. How'd that work out? Not so good. Not so good. Cardinals lose in Detroit by a score of 8-2. to Johan Oviedo still searching for his first career Major League win. Presumably he'll get one eventually, but it wasn't going to be tonight. Oviedo just completely done in by his fourth inning of work where the Detroit Tigers posted a six spot on him. And it was pretty much all his, all his fault not to pile on. But it started off with a throwing error that he made comebacker to the pitcher tried to catch the runner in between second and third throwing to third base where Arenado was playing except Arenado wasn't really playing close enough to the bag in my opinion to make that play sails the throw over his head into left field and the runner the batter ends up on third base the runner from second scoring to kind of open the floodgates there in that inning and and it was just all downhill from there Johan throwing a couple of the worst sliders I think I've seen in a while. Just just two hangers over the middle of the plate that were absolutely crushed. One of them for an extra base hit by Jake Rogers. The other was a homer for Jonathan Scope, a three-run shot. And from there, 6 nothing in the fourth inning. You figure the Cardinals are pretty much done. They do score a couple of runs in the eighth. Lars Newtbar, we can talk about him. We can rally around Lars Newtbar on the B-Shape Daily Podcast today because if you're looking for positives... One of the few. He didn't get his first major league hit tonight, but did come up with an RBI. Hard hit ball to left field. Scores on a sacrifice situation. Paul Goldschmidt hit another ball hard tonight with an RBI to show for it as well. He goes one for four. Cardinals scattered just six hits. Another example of the offense not performing. I told my wife, finished up this evening with everything we were doing at the house. We actually are putting flooring in in our basement, so that was kind of what I was doing all day and a reason that I wasn't too active on Twitter during the Cardinals game, not to mention the fact that they didn't give me very much to tweet about. But I told her, got to go do the podcast, but I really don't know what I'm going to talk about since it's pretty much the same game that we've seen on repeat for the last month or so. And she said, no, I need to do the podcast to make sure you guys can hear from me. So, hey, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about where the Cardinals are. It's not a very good place. They fall back below 500 tonight, 36 and 37. And I'm over here disparaging the Tigers. I mean, they're only five games behind St. Louis at this point. That's not unattainable. Not too much ground to make up. Tark Scubel was good tonight for the, the Tigers, but, you know, 
A lot of pitchers have looked good against Cardinals lineup. He doesn't get quite through five innings, but had had some decent stuff. Four and two-thirds innings pitched, only gave up four hits, and the Cardinals got to him for a couple in that fifth inning. Gave him back, though, in the bottom half of the fifth. Ponce de Leon was involved in today's game, finished up the fourth inning, but then departed with shoulder discomfort. That's not ideal. Andrew Miller gives up a run on the the bunt sacrifice situation and then a double, and that was actually Ponce's run. Miller was in to pitch at that point. And then one over the head of Carlson to score the next run. I think Jake Rogers hit that one too. He got a, he had a triple on one of his extra base hits. I think that might have been the triple. Nice to see some scoreless innings from Woodford LeBlanc and Junior Fernandez. Respectively, none of those innings were clean. Base runners in each of them. But yeah, I don't know, guys. I, I just don't know. If you're going to lose to the Detroit Tigers, and I mean, it's only a two-game series, so if you split it, it just kind of is what it is. But if, I mean, non-competitive against the Detroit Tigers. And I listened to Mike Schilt this evening. Not a lot there for me to, to really draw from for this podcast. I, I Offensively, the Cardinals, something's got to give. And I know they lost 8-2, to two, but we've kind of seen Johan Oviedo have issues. It was, it was one of his worst starts that he's had in a while. He's had better outings. He came off a pretty good outing his last time out at Bush, but not this time. Three walks, back to having control issues, didn't get through the fourth. Six hits, six runs, only two of them earned, but, you know, when, you, when you're giving up homers and throwing the ball over the field that I'm not too concerned about what your earned run average is. It's the six runs I'm I'm most concerned about. But offensively, this is just kind of what it is, I guess, huh? And if the Cardinals aren't going to be aggressive in trying to make moves to adjust the offense, I don't know. I guess I guess you're just going to sit there and wait and hope these guys that you have come around adding Newt Barr to the lineup tonight was a nice thought. I think they should keep him in there for several games just to see what you have until Bader gets back. I mean, run him out there. Start him for a week straight because now it's easy because you've got the DH. They had O'Neal DHing today and Edmonds still in the outfield. But honestly, when they get back to Bush on Thursday, even if Newt Barr is 0 for coming into that, I'd like to see him get some starts at home because – I. We've, we've kind of seen what the other guys in this lineup are doing. Maybe Paul DeYoung can get going. That's something the Cardinals could really use. He went one for two tonight, scored a run, but also walked twice, so he was on base three times. The only Cardinal, I believe, that, that could have claimed that. So step in the right direction, certainly for DeYoung, but elsewhere it's just, I don't know. You, you, Mike Schilt continues to say he's seen, seen good at bats, and, you know, they just weren't able to get anything done. Well, yeah, I mean, they're... I don't know. I don't know if this this turns into a position of apathy if the Cardinals aren't able to get through this next stretch of the schedule for the rest of June without some serious winning going on. And that's where I think they're at risk of of going because if listen, if you finish up June like again, we talked about the 9 and 4 stretch. Cardinals needed to go 9 and 4 starting with Atlanta. Well, they went 1 and 3 and then they've lost again, so now they're 1 and 4. 
Are they, does it look like a team about to rattle off eight in a row? Probably not. Probably not. But if they don't at least win five of the next eight, six, I mean, if they just go four and four, the final game against Detroit, four against Pittsburgh, and then three against Arizona, if they just kind of tread water against those teams, I'll lose a lot of confidence that this team's going to be able to to bring it back. Like, I've, I've learned not to just make bold declarations about what a team is, especially in June. You know, I remember as recently, I, 2019, it seems like, there was a stretch in the middle of that season where I remember saying, you know, the Cardinals just are a mediocre team. And as it turned out, that, that was a good team. They found a way to come around, won a postseason series, and ended up in the National League Championship Series. Obviously, they weren't necessarily a great team. They didn't pose much of a, a, a threat to the Washington Nationals in that series. But it does go to show that teams that look like one thing in June can definitely turn things around. And we've seen good things out of this Cardinals team this year, but the trends are just so darn concerning. I don't know how you could ignore them at this point. And if if the explanation so many nights out of a week is that, well, we just didn't get anything done tonight offensively, just one of those nights. Cardinals have too many just one of those nights. And I don't know where you can expect the spark to come from. I think it has to be a collective effort. Everything we've heard from players has been they haven't lost faith in one another. They haven't lost faith in the clubhouse or in their ability as an offensive unit to be able to get over the hump. But I have not seen anything that that makes me confident they're going to do so. And it is baffling. It is honestly baffling. Because, again, when you go through the names in the lineup, I think Tommy Edmonds is a pretty good baseball player. He goes 2-for-5 tonight. He's got a 266 average. He just hasn't hit for quite enough power to make the OPS a little shinier at 690 right now. That's not very good. But I believe that Tommy Edmond is a, a capable a capable offensive contributor. I don't think he's a leadoff hitter necessarily. I think the time has come probably to go ahead and put Dylan Carlson in that role. Not that he's looked exceptional. Same batting average. OPS is higher at 755. Both guys 265, 266 in the average department. But I think I, I do think lineup shakeup is now what you need to do. If not, it's a coaching shakeup, and that'll be for the front office to decide. But listen, it, it, we're not even halfway through this season, so like I said, I want to be careful. But if this is the offense you see through the rest of the year, I do not see how the hitting coach is, is brought back next season. Maybe that's not a move they want to make midseason because they don't feel like it's going to serve any benefit. You might as well let him see it through to the end of the year to see if with the names you have, the, the guys on this roster, that you can fix it. But I know that it's a, a topic of conversation for fans, and so I don't want to turn a blind eye to it and act like I you know, I don't I don't see the merit there. You do have an organizational philosophy toward hitting that Jeff Albert is in charge of, and he's got assistance. So that's the thing. Like if you were to make a move, all right, what what good does it really do? to have one of the underlings on the staff then take over the hitting duties, preaching pretty much the same, you know, it wouldn't, it's not like they're, they're drastically changing anything. And again, I've talked about this before on the show that I don't really think hitting coaches, pitching coaches, I, I just, 
that feels like a scapegoat move a lot of times. And I just, back when John Mabry was the hitting coach and it seemed like all the time people were calling for his firing, I thought, first of all, he's Matheny's guy. And so if Matheny's still here, he'll still be here. And of course, they they got fired on the same day. But even even though at some point that regime had obviously run its course, I remember saying, look, I get that the hitting coach is supposed to be able to instill whatever it is that's that's going to the approach to allow these guys to hit but these are professional hitters they've they, they each of them have got to take it upon themselves to perform more capably at the plate and it's not that they're not trying to and Mike Shield has talked a lot about effort and how much the guys care i again i, I don't think anybody's questioning that and so i want to make sure that i mean nobody here is i'm not not on B-shaped daily i'm not questioning the effort but the production matters it's a production game, and you can you can give all the effort you want, but if it's not good enough, it's it's not good enough. And right now for the Cardinals, it's not been good enough. And so what's difficult is I talk about Edmund Carlson. You have Paul Goldsmith, Nolan Arenado as your 3-4 of your lineup. These are two perennial all-stars, guys who for the better part of a decade, more than a decade in Goldie's case, just about that long for Arenado, have been superstar caliber names. Those two at the, the middle of your lineup, you should not have these offensive issues that they have. But they haven't performed like superstars this year, neither of them. Goldsmith, 736 OPS, starting to come around. We're seeing signs, I think. He's more often stinging the ball than he had been. The strikeout rate still kind of surprises me. But tonight he does drive in a run with a good swing. And you like to see that. Arenado, an 0 for tonight, 4 left on. 810 OPS is second best on the team. So it it seems like kind of a load of crap to come on here and bemoan Nolan Arenado and the way he's performing. But I do think there is a, an idea to the fact that he's going through it right now too because his expectations are definitely above what he's produced so far. I think he's going to produce better as it goes. I guess that's kind of where the Cardinals are too, though. They're they're sitting around saying, "Well, it's like it's like the Tony Larusa deal in 2011, I guess it was, where it was his first week of the season rant. It's the first week of the season. You think all these guys aren't going to hit? I think. Listen, we're we're kind of starving for some decent content anyway, right now with the Cardinals struggling like they are. So let's. We're, I'm going to throw it back. I'm going to. I'm going to throw it to Tony Larusa. But then I'm going to compare it to to today and talk about why maybe it's not. It's not the same thing. The answer will be obvious, but I thought it would be kind of fun. So let's do it. Here's TLR from April 2011. For everybody listening out there, I mean, you think I'm being unreasonable? It's the first week of the season. Yeah. I mean, you guys, are, I don't understand this. Now you're going to tell me who are you going to tell me? You're going to tell me that. Yadier doesn't drive in big runs. You're going to tell me Albert can't hit? You're going to tell me the second baseman and shortstops haven't hit? David Freeze, you don't think he's going to hit? You think Matt's going to hit? You think Kobe's going to hit? You think Berkman's going to hit? The answer is no to all those things? I mean, you get me. Is that what you accomplish your goal three, four times you ask so I get excited and get upset? I mean, that's not fair. It really isn't. And that silence you heard at the end there is because Tony walked off after that answer from the press conference. That was the presumed days, so that was down in the 
in front of the podium there. Hilarious throwback, by the way. More than 10 years ago. It's crazy how much time flies. That was April of the Cardinals championship season 2011. Now the difference, quite obviously, is that this is not the first week of the season for the present day St. Louis Cardinals. It's late June, nearly July. By the time July 1st rolls around, typically you're about at the halfway point. The All-Star break is not usually the halfway point. It's about July 1st, first couple of days of July. Looking right now at where the Cardinals stand, 73 games played, eight more this month. So right on the target of the halfway point being July 1. Happy birthday to me, by the way. I'll be turning old on July 1st. But the difference for LaRusse's Cardinals in 2011 and Mike Schultz today is we've been seeing this kind of offensive concern for several months now. You know, on on the whole, there have been bright spots. I'm not denying that, but you've got to look at what the numbers are in total and and not just, you know, not just go on well, it's been a good couple of days here. Cardinals won three against the Marlins. Things are looking up. You can't you can't do that. And even then, if you were trying to do that from an offensive point of view, you would have still been wrong because they didn't hit in that series either. But look, I don't think there's any more fair thing to do than to look at the total production over the course of 73 games. That's the amount of games they've played so far. It was It's more games than they played all 2020, including the postseason. So, okay, what are the Cardinals as an offensive team? As they approach the halfway mark of the season, and they'll be here before you know it, at that 81-game mark, who are the Cardinals? Well, they're in 28th in on-base percentage in Major League Baseball, 24th in slug, 24th in OPS, 27th in batting average, 24th in total runs scored. Just a couple of runs ahead of the Tigers, and so maybe that, that'll change. They'll drop to 25th if they lose again on Wednesday. But from Mike Schilt's perspective, I can understand what's so frustrating because I, even though it's not the first week of the season, thank you, Tony, I think a lot of the other statements in his head would still apply. You don't think Matt's going to hit? Talking about Matt Holiday, Lance Berkman's not going to hit, Albert's not going to hit, Yadier's not going to drive in big runs. Well, he's still doing that. 10 years later, some things never change. But yeah, look at the lineup. Edmund Carlson, are those not pretty good players? You like those players. Coming into the season, you're happy that those players were Cardinals. Goldschmidt, Arenado, are you kidding me? Those two guys, you think they're not going to hit? I mean, you wouldn't think so, but... And again, it's not that they're not hitting at all, but relative to their career norms, it's, it's it's not been there. Tyler O'Neill, well, he has been hitting. Still sitting at 904 for the OPS. Again, keep watching the regression. There, it, there, it's definitely possible that he would would endure some of that. Had a couple more strikeouts tonight, and that's part of the problem. The whiffs, and then if some of those those batted balls stop going over the fence, his his home run to fly ball rate was really really elevated. Hard to expect that to continue, even if you slug the ball the way he does. So keep an eye out on that. But so far, certainly O'Neill producing. Yachty, I mean, he's come back down to earth. 742 for the OPS, 258 average. He was off to a tear. And I mean, for June, 
I, I don't know if the average is even above 150. It was 143 the other day, and he I, I think he's maybe gotten one hit since I last checked. So, yeah, I mean, that's not ideal. Edmundo Sosa, again, you weren't expecting a world beater offensively from him, and he's more than come back down to earth, which appreciate what he brings defensively, but I I don't know. I don't Like I said, I would put Edmund back at second base probably to give Newt Bar a chance when they return to Bush, put him in right field. I think that's perfectly fine. He played left tonight, has played plenty of right field in the minors this season, played 16 of his 22 games, I believe, in right field, so he can certainly handle that position. That's what I'd do when they get back to Bush, and again, that... Wednesday's game has no bearing on that choice. I would I would do it regardless. Let's find outfielders to play the outfield and put Edmund back in the infield. No knock on his ability as an outfielder. He's made some really fine catches out there. Made another one tonight to start the game off. That was, I don't think, an, an easy chance. But I, I think it's just would be better for the team to be able to find. And, and Edmund, as a right fielder, is not bringing the kind of offensive profile that you need out of a right fielder, you need a power hitter in the corner outfield. Left and right, you need power guys. They've got it in left in O'Neill. He's done it so far this year. It's always about power at the corners, though. Goldsmith, Arenado, corners of your infield. you got to set up how you want it. You just need him to perform. O'Neill in, in left field and Carlson in right I, it hasn't hit for as much power as I think people hoped or expected. It started out the year, he all he could do was hit bombs. I think his first three base hits were, all left the the ballpark but after that real precipitous decline in his power you're, you're seeing some of that doubles power return saw it on Sunday with a with a nice swing but just on the whole not quite where you expected it to be but Carlson's been playing center field because of the Bader injury and so when they get Bader back you figure he'll be back in center and Carlson shifting over to right needs some more play production out of out of those spots and Edmund, while I said, you know, I don't know about him at leadoff, I would shake it up. I would, I would do, I would do something different. I don't know what, but Carlson might be an answer, somebody to try anyway. But even with the positives that Edmund brings, it's not really a, an offensive profile of a right fielder. I do subscribe to, and, and sometimes it change. You know, Chris Bryant for the Cubs has played every which position, and I think they got him in center field now, and he can do well there defensively. I do generally like to subscribe to certain positions in your defensive alignment need to be able to bring certain archetypes offensively, certain things to the plate in the lineup. And for the most part, the Cardinals do have a lot of those traditional considerations up the middle when they're healthy. Bader is your center fielder, and if if he isn't the greatest offensive player on the team, that's okay. You're happy with that. Colton Wong was a leadoff guy, but he was batting, you know, playing second base, playing gold glove defense, didn't have to hit for a lot of power. Edmund at second base, that works if he's if he's getting on base maybe at a little higher clip than he has been lately. But in right field, I think it kind of gets jumbled, and you say, well, okay, who's your second baseman then? Well, Sosa. Well, that's another pretty light-hitting player that you're just kind of going for defense and not finding the offense. I think Sosa is a, a great player to have on the team. He has impressed me. Uh, in spring training, I was talking about, look, these other guys, Jose Rondon at the time and Max Moroff, were hitting better than Sosa in spring, and so I wasn't even sure they should keep Sosa. At the time, I said, you know, if they were to DFA him and 
be, or, or not DFA, but they would. I mean, I, yeah, I guess that is what it would have been. They would have had to expose him to waivers because he was out of options. And Sosa was, and so they elected to to stick with him. And I think that ends up being a positive thing, though his his hitting numbers have fallen back down to about what I would have expected when I saw him in spring. He plays a good defense, and that's good to have around on the club. But unfortunately, the Cardinals have too many of those guys, and they don't have enough guys performing offensively right now. Like I said, DeYoung, they'd love to see him get going. 165 is his batting average even after a 1-for-2 tonight. And after getting on base three times, his OPS is still 598. So something's got to give there. Maybe Newt Barr will be able to perform. You know, give him a little bit of a chance. Had some really good numbers in Memphis. Cardinals calling him up on Tuesday, getting getting him the start. His first game with the team. I, I'd put him right back out there tomorrow because I don't know what else you do. I, I I don't see a trade coming because knowing the way John Moselak has approached this lineup, they don't want to overcomplicate things. I don't agree always with that approach because sometimes the only complication is that you don't have enough good players, you don't have enough good hitters to, to field the daily lineup. You don't have a lot of thump off your bench right now. Part of that, Matt Carpenter has, you know, had it had a down year, obviously, and he's being paid. We've we've talked plenty about that contract over the last couple of years. But it is what it is, and he's around. And I don't anticipate them dumping Matt Carpenter, paying him anyway, career cardinal. That would be that'd be kind of a rough situation. So it's just like, what do you do? Where do you go? Okay, you go out and get a player, which I I think would be good. I mean, what do you do? You go get a a slugger like Joey Gallo or, you know, you go get somebody. I think that would be totally reasonable. But where I talk about the complication to that is they anticipate Harrison Bader coming back. And so when that happens, where do you play the guy? Whoever you get. You get an outfielder, where do you play him? If you've got three outfielders that you already like. Middle infield, okay. I mean, Edmund's going to play, and he should play. He's a, he's a good player. So that's second base, typically. Shortstop, well, yeah, you absolutely. Go trade for Trevor Story, sure. You know, Paul DeYoung, could, could Paul DeYoung be moved for pitching? That's been something that people have speculated, sure. Back when Sosa looked more capable offensively, you were probably okay with that. He's still obviously out hitting DeYoung for the season, but... Not not in the power department. Young's got seven, eight home runs. Sosa's got one. So I like every conceivable move you you might make. It's easy to find reasons to say why it's not going to work. Or imagine they do go get a guy, but the hitter they acquire isn't a world beater because you're not very likely to want to give up some of your best prospects in exchange for a player, whether it's a rental or otherwise. They don't really have any long-term obvious spots to put somebody unless you're getting a huge name, which, like I said, I don't think is going to happen. And so now you're dealing with, with that idea that, oh, did we just trade away somebody who could have, in a year or two, been someone that will fill an important spot on our roster and our lineup, rotation, whatever. And did we do it for a player who maybe won't even pan out? So... Those are the questions the Cardinals grapple with. It's it is easy to say make a trade, make a trade from from where we sit, because we forget about after the fact that we were clamoring for that trade that then 
six months later, a year later, we're going to talk about how terrible it was and blame Mo in the front office for having made it. Which, at the end of the day, that's the luxury that fans and media are afforded. We don't have to answer those questions at the end of the day. Somebody might pull up an old tweet of ours and make us look dumb, but that's different from being the person responsible for executing the move and having it not pan out. You know, it's not our job to know whether these trades will go poorly or will be ultimately ones that work out. And so the, the, there are no consequences for anybody to go on Twitter and or go on a podcast and say the Cardinals need to do this. I mean, they ultimately it boils down to what the front office determines is the best course of action and, and what they're able to actually execute. They might have a course of action they'd like to execute, but they also want to be careful about having it cost too much or whatever. The The problem is when people complain about the front office, it's like totally fair. But I think the I think maybe sometimes it's misdirected. Like, let's have the complaints be like the front office should make good moves. I, do we really want the, the answer to be they should make a trade no matter what? I don't think I don't think in, in a few months from now, if that's what they do and it doesn't pan out, I don't think you'll be sitting back remembering, well, I, I, to be fair, I, I did say they had to make a trade, and I guess I didn't specify it had to be a good one. Just make good moves. Be smart. Make savvy decisions. It's easier said than done, right? And when you're in a spot where a lot of the players you've acquired to lead you in, into competitiveness this season are not performing to expectations, makes it difficult. Makes you maybe get a little gun-shy on what the next move should be. May makes you realize that the margins are so much thinner. You don't have the margin for error necessarily because if these other moves that you thought were slam dunks turn out to, even if they're not errors, they turn out to be kind of meh. They, they, they turn out to not have much of an impact in a positive direction. I'm not saying we're there with Goldschmidt, but you know, if he's a 255 hitter with a 736 OPS for the rest of his career, that's a failed trade. You know, even if, even if Luke Weaver doesn't pan out and, Carson Kelly's just so-so. He's been pretty good. But it's like nobody, you can't, you would never say that. I don't think anybody rational should say, should say that because when they were getting Paul Goldsmith, it was like that was the thing to do, right? And and I'm not, and if you've heard me over the last week or so, I've talked a lot about Goldsmith. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I do think he's a better player than what he's, what his numbers say he's been this year. Like he's been what he's been this year. I, I would I would give that guy to the end of the season. And beyond that, you know, because he's under contract and it's going to be what it is. I think I think he's a better player than what the Cardinals are getting right now. And he's starting to come out of it. So, it, again, it's not fair because we're looking at a body of work for the 2021 season and we're saying here's what he's been. But then recently he's been better. So it's you want to you want to make sure to tackle it from all sides and be fair to a guy. Arenado similar deal like 810 OPS is is pretty good. He's had a couple big, he's had a few big games, right? Game one on, on Father's Day, he was great. But too many games you're finding for a guy that's an anchor to the lineup, he's he's not, I, I would say he's not contributing as regularly game to game as you might have hoped, at least right now. But that's true of a lot of guys in this lineup, as I've talked about. So a lot of questions, no easy answers. We've talked a lot about the lineup, and I feel like I neglect the pitching situation, which everybody has already known that to be kind of bleak. You know, they've come out of it a little bit lately, but then Oviedo has a rough one. Carlos had a rough one. 
So it, it kind of turns into, well, what is this group? I, they've got injuries. They've got, you know, bullpen guys kind of unsure. LeBlanc's been a nice boost, a couple of strikeouts in his outing tonight. I think his ERA was 9.45 when he joined the Cardinals. It's 5.73 now, so it's almost four runs lower. Maybe he's a keeper. Maybe he'll stick around. I don't. People continue to ask Mike Schild about whether he'll be a starter. I don't. I don't get that quite honestly, um, because I. I just think. I mean, gosh, you need lefty relievers too, and I don't know that he'll be at his best in a starting role. I think he looks better right now as a reliever. So leave him there. I agree with that. That's what Schilt basically said tonight. Find your other ways toward a starter. You know, would the Cardinals do, do well at this point to just swap Matthew Libertor and Johan Oviedo in the rotation? Is that is that unfair to say after a clunker tonight? Because he didn't have a clunker in his last start. Like, he was really good. Matthew Libertor and Carlos Martinez, anybody? I mean... I feel like we're talking to ourselves because I don't I don't know if these are moves the Cardinals are exploring right now, but it's what I'll be looking for as the rotation continues to churn. What do these guys look like in their next starts, and and how soon could you could you go to a Libertor? I would you know I think the opportunities there, but again, if you're only scoring two runs, like that's what's so maddening about this, and that's the same thing with the coaching staff. Well, fire the hitting coach or fire the pitching coach. I mean, shoot, I mean I could give you. I can tell you why both units are struggling. It's the players. <laughs> I Again, back to the coaching thing. There's only so much those guys can do. If the philosophy is is stale, that, that might be one thing. But in, in Mike Maddox's case, you have, A, a pitching staff that's super injured right now, so that's hard to put a lot of blame to him on, and a guy with a, a serious track record in this league. So, you know, I don't know that that's your answer to fire a hitting coach just to say you did something. But I would be more apt to to make roster moves to say I did something. But then again, I mean, this stretch of games should be the the stretch of the Cardinals turning around. They're playing bad teams. But they played like a bad team on on Tuesday, and they lost to a bad team. So, I don't know. You're not going to win them all. I I, I thought when when I ran down the schedule that just expecting, taking it for granted that they would sweep the Tigers out of two, Maybe a little much. All you got to do is split now. And then you get the Pirates, you get the D-backs. So I'm going to keep talking about this hope until the end of the schedule. Like th- th- This is where I'm locked in right now on on things till the end of June to say, hey, these are the guys you're playing. Look at this opportunity to turn things around. After that, we'll have some hard conversations. But for right now, figure it out. Because the wins are there to be had if you want them. We can't, we can't keep talking about how the Cardinals just... Well, the other guy pitched good tonight, too, but you're talking about the Detroit Tigers, or you're talking about the Pirates over the weekend. Tigers are a little bit better team than what you're going to see in Pittsburgh and Arizona. It's just the record details that as well. And Tark Skubal, you know, good young pitcher, so it's not like he, he blew him up tonight. He didn't even make it through five. But the bullpen, it's another example where the Cardinals just against opposing bullpens just have not seemed to do much. And granted, the game was 8-2 to two at that point, so... Maybe the attitude is who cares, but maybe the Cardinals can't afford that attitude. I don't know. But against the Detroit bullpen tonight, four and a third innings pitched by those guys, two hits. Can't happen. I mean, look at the ERAs of these guys. Three and a half. Funkhauser, decent pitcher. 
Garcia, 4.23. Farmer, 10.13. Daniel Norris, 6.59. All throwing up goose eggs. So, I, God bless the Detroit Tigers, but I, I, I can't sit here and say, well, the Cardinals just got bested by guys who really executed well. Nope, the Cardinals just didn't execute well, and that's okay to say sometimes too, especially for, for us when we're looking at it from the outside. I understand Mike Shields' point of view. I understand his perspective. And and he's he's shown the emotion and he's shown the frustration. Like it's there. I'm not saying it's not, but I don't know what it's gonna I don't know what it's gotta be, what it's gotta take for the Cardinals to to get it turned around. And it's not the first week of the season, and I think we know that you look up and down the lineup, these these guys have been better than this before, and so they've gotta find a way to be better than this now. That's gonna wrap it up though for this edition of B Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to the podcast. I would love for you to subscribe, too. And the way you can do that is by going to anchor.fm slash bshafer12, clicking on more platforms, and picking out the platform you would like to listen on. Spotify's on there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, several other options for you. So get on board if you haven't done so yet, and we'd be thrilled to have you. We'll be breaking it down tomorrow night, Wednesday night, after the Cardinals' second game against the Tigers. Join us back here for another one. Make sure you put those notifications on, subscribe, and be alerted when we have new episodes dropping. Appreciate you guys once again, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaped Daily.